0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, Health Editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me is The Mail on Sunday's Deputy Health Editor, the incomparable Eve Simmons. Hello. If you have a question or a suggestion for a topic that we should cover on Medical Minefield, please do get in touch with us directly on Twitter by searching for me, at barney calman that's b-a-r-n-e-y c-a-l-m-a-n
1: and me that's at eve simmons but without the o so that's at e-v-e-s-i-m-m-n-s
0: eve i want you to tell me how you're feeling
1: do you want me to really tell you how i'm feeling i want you to
0: really tell me how you're feeling
1: i'm a little bit cold oh is that it in my feet area <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you weren't so well yesterday were you
1: oh no yeah I was one of those kids that had a side effect from the vaccine Ooh. it was it was mild but it was enough for me to think ugh, I don't really want to have to get on the tube because I feel a bit gross
0: what was the thing that happened to your hand
1: oh my hand got a bit stiff I got got the old claw, claw hand yeah oh. which was attractive
0: that... <laughs> was that a recognized side effect of the no Pfizer I don't
1: vaccine? think so it's probably you... just something weird that's happened to me because my strange genetics I don't know
0: were you imagining it Possibly. I don't know if this is a good segue into what I'm trying to talk about today, which is trauma. Were you traumatised?
1: No, I would, I would not count that as a trauma.
0: It's a term that I've seen cropping up an awful lot recently. People have been talking about finding their traumas. A couple of weeks ago, Prince Harry was seen doing a special psychotherapeutic technique in order to cope with his trauma, his post-traumatic stress
1: he also said that the majority of us have trauma, grief or loss and counted the uh, isolation that many have felt during the COVID-19 pandemic as trauma that apparently we're all going to need to heal from, which I thought was a very sensitive thing to say.
0: And uh, Britain's youngest MP, uh, Nadia Whitton, who's just 23, was signed off work also suffering from post-traumatic stress
1: yes it's not quite clear what the traumatic event was there's been some reports that she's been subject to really horrific abuse on twitter and social media she's been the, the victim i find of trolls.
0: twitter pretty traumatic every time I, I log on
1: oh god yeah it's it's like an assault to all the senses it's horrible
0: I'm interested in in this idea of finding finding trauma or that we're all traumatized in some way I mean we've we've talked about this in the past Uh, you've talked very openly about the fact that you were hospitalized for an eating disorder and when we were discussing trauma uh, you know obviously your background your your childhood was questioned by your therapists um, and you didn't find that helpful at all at the time which I've
1: no, I I think when something happens to you that feels so illogical, like, for instance, my eating disorder felt so illogical and irrational because I'd grown up loving food and I could never imagine that would happen to me. So automatically, my therapist and my mother and my family and friends start thinking about why, what, why, why has this happened to you? And I guess the most sort of logical, in their eyes, explanation would be that it was related to the death of my father when I was 12, just four days before my 13th birthday. He had cancer for a very long time, about seven years before that. So from the age of nine, I was aware that somebody was very sick in the house and then he died. And obviously, you know, the the kind of average person may well class that as a traumatic experience. and, And I think it probably was. But I really struggled to see the link between that and an eating disorder 10 years later, when in between that, You know, I was a bit of an anxious teenager, but I never had any problems with food. And an eating disorder is quite specific. And I just really struggled to see the link. And um, I really tried to Mm. have some understanding and work through my experiences of having a very sick dad with my therapist. But I always just left those sessions crying and spending the next two days crying, talking to my mother, crying. And then feeling I still can't really eat because I feel so anxious about eating.
0: Yeah something something that you said to me was that you kept thinking you know you wanted to get better first before dragging all this stuff up that was very painful.
1: Yeah absolutely I, I felt that at that point I really wasn't in the position to be discussing something that felt so disconnected from what I was going through right there in that moment that needed practical support.
0: But I can completely understand why there is this desire to look for a a cause you know the idea that we can we can heal a problem when we understand what causes it of course one phrase that i'm always writing endlessly when we're writing about health problems for instance cancer or um you know heart problems is that we don't know the cause
1: scientists don't yet understand We,
0: we don't know the cause for lots of things but this desire in in psychotherapy at the moment to understand the cause and therefore resolve the problem I mean, that's obviously well intended, but there are concerns.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first kind of set of concerns came in the 70s and 80s because there was this trend. It was very Freudian, this idea that you have to really trail through things Mm. that are. Tell me about your mother. Exactly that. And what they found is that a lot of people were uncovering these memories which actually weren't quote unquote traumatic but they were being framed to use a very um, psycho, psychotherapy word they were being framed in a way that presented them to be traumatic and also some people miraculously remembered things that didn't mm. actually happen so uh. there was instances of people being accused of sexual abuse parents being accused of sexual abuse when, when actually it turned out that that never happened mm. but because they'd been in this state of um, very kind of deep intensive therapy they had been led to remember something that wasn't there.
0: I mean, obviously, there's no suggestion that that's the norm in any way, or that's going on right now. And as I said, it's great that people are talking about mental health. And, you know, nothing that we're saying uh, should discourage people from coming forward for help. But, you know, I think before we go any further, you've got someone to really explain what the ideas behind the focus in, on trauma uh, in therapy is.
1: Yes, on the line now is Emmy Brunner. She is a psychotherapist um, and specialises in eating disorders. She's also the author of a book called Find Your New Voice. Emmy, you practise trauma-focused care. What does this mean and, and why do you think it's important?
2: Because I think so much of our treatment that people receive for their mental health really focuses on either managing the symptoms of their unwellness whether that's eating disorder behaviours or anxiety or depression, and doesn't necessarily look at resolving some of those core wounds that have perhaps led or triggered those illnesses. So it's really, really important to resolve those kind of original issues, those original traumas, and then help people to develop better strategies for caring for themselves.
1: And do you think that most mental health problems are rooted in a trauma
2: yeah, absolutely. It's really our responses to those traumas that can make us quite unwell. If we don't have the tools or strategies to cope, we can develop other tools and, and ways of trying to manage our responses to those traumas, and that that's when it can become quite problematic.
1: And Emmy, some psychologists would say that the definition of a trauma is very clearly defined. And and in fact, you know, it's um, we're talking about people who service people who have come back from wars and really serious, violent attacks. What would you say about that?
2: Those people have experienced what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. So a severely traumatic event that they've had uh, a set of symptoms in response to. When we're talking about trauma, we're talking about really everyday life experiences that can be extremely stressful or distressing, or life altering in some way. That happen to all of us. It's the nature of being human beings. We all experience trauma. The key point is what our responses to those traumas are, rather than a question of whether we have them.
1: If, say, I don't know, you know, being kind of picked on at school, that could
2: classify as a, as a trauma absolutely that could be classed as a, as a trauma in fact that can be extremely traumatic for people to go through periods of bullying because they're very consistent they often happen when we're alone we're away from our kind of primary caretakers and we often don't have the voice or the resources to know how to manage those situations
0: do people always know what their trauma is when they start a session with you or do you have to take some time to find what that trauma is with them
2: I think typically the starting point isn't necessarily around digging around at what traumas somebody may have. It's more about educating a person that we all have trauma. That's the nature of kind of our existence and really to focus on what are your strategies for nurturing yourself? What is the internal narrative that you have about yourself and your place in the world? So one of the reasons that I called the book Find Your True Voice is because it's about trying to connect with a more compassionate and loving narrative towards yourself and your place in the world. And sometimes when we when we do start sort of digging around a little bit, we can find that people's internal narratives are extremely critical of themselves. And actually that then holds a whole other host of problems.
1: And do you think understanding experiences that might have led to us feeling a certain way, do you think all of that for everyone is a, is wholly a positive thing?
2: Yeah, because I think it validates us. I think so many people feel a certain way and they don't have context for that, they don't understand it, or they think that they're somehow to blame or that they're strange or odd in some way. And when actually we kind of create a narrative that it's very normal to feel anxious when you've had a traumatic experience or bullying, as you raise, it's very normal to them feel anxious in social situations, for example. It kind of defuses the pathology that's being created around a person's responses to things. When it stops them feeling like they're the problem or they're strange in some way or that this is something that's going to impact them forever that they've got to manage, it's like, actually, you're having a really normal response to a very difficult situation. And that in itself, I think, is so comforting for people.
0: I couldn't possibly find fault in what Emmy's saying. You know, it's hugely well-intentioned, and I think that... I don't doubt it. it's really helpful for a lot of people to feel that they have things that have eaten away at them or upset them and that perhaps they haven't been able to talk about validated as, yes, this is something that has really damaged you and and it is a problem and, and you I, don't have to cover that up
1: absolutely and i think what she was saying about taking the blame away from the individual mm. is really important because so often with mental health problems there's a second side to it is that you have this intense feeling of shame and guilt because the problem is having an effect on your wider circle because it often affects your behavior and so you know helping somebody to understand that that's not your fault is of course hugely important and beneficial
0: But I'll be honest, one of the reasons that I've been very interested in this subject is because a writer who works with us um, has spoken to me quite extensively in the past about how the focus on trauma and some very genuine difficulties she's had in life have not helped her mental health. We're joined now by Erica Crompton, who is an author and a mental health campaigner. Erica is a good friend of ours and has written for our section for many years. Erica, you, we, were, we were talking earlier um, this week about what the first piece was. Remind me, how was it that we met?
3: Well, we met, um, you just joined the Mail on Sunday as health yeah, editor. and I thought, why not send some ideas off? I just started writing about my own experiences with psychosis. And there was a new dating website that connected people with mental health problems together. Um, so I wrote about that back, back, yeah the headline was single female good sense of humor schizophrenic would love to meet similar or, or some such <laughs> it <was quite> good <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> I,
0: I just thought it was very you know you have such a voice in the, in the in the mental health sphere you've been incredibly open about some quite serious challenges that you've had um in your life just take me through very briefly. I mean, you initially you were diagnosed, or you have a history of paranoid schizophrenia, but that's that's not ultimately what the diagnosis is now. It's been revised, the term's revised to something else now, isn't it?
3: That's right, yeah. I mean, I started off in, um, I was diagnosed with psychosis at the age of 22 back in 2002, and it wasn't until later, after a suicide attempt and hospitalisation, that I was diagnosed with Paranoid schizophrenia and accessed a, a much higher dose of the antipsychotic, which helped a lot. But over the years, there's been many different diagnoses, from psychotic depression to bipolar to um, to schizoaffective. What I have today, so I think it's still it's not quite as bad as paranoid schizophrenia. There's not quite the stigma attached to it, but there's a slight mood element, like a mix of bipolar and schizophrenia together.
0: I think what I love about what you do is you've really devoted your um, writing life, certainly, to trying to spread the word about treatments that help, things that you found had a positive impact on your health. And back 10 years ago, almost, when we started writing, you started writing for us, uh, you wrote about mindfulness, which no one had heard of at the time, and you'd found that very helpful. And then later, there was something called gratefulness therapy or something that you you keep a happy Compassion book, don't you?
3: Therapy, oh, that's yeah. it. That's it. That was great. Yeah, I think it, I, I still see people on Twitter counting the three things they feel grateful for a day. It's like it, it's something that that seems to really work. And
0: you found that really helped look on the bright side of stuff because part of your your mental health difficulties are feeling like you've done something terrible. Is that right?
3: Yeah, and and low mood is kind of the bread and butter. I mean, at the time when I had the therapy in 2012, I was struggling to get out of bed most days. Uh, My mood was really low, but because I was struggling to get up and having low energy levels, I was kind of beating myself about it as well. So the compassion focused therapy and the happy book kind of made me be able to say to myself, you know, look, it's okay to stay in bed. You know, you don't need to beat yourself up about this. It's okay, just enjoy it. So, yeah, it kind of helped with that. There was another side to the therapy, which I think is uh, relevant to what you're working on today, That the exploratory therapy, which maybe wasn't quite as positive as the compassion-focused therapy that I had. I had the two therapies in tandem over a course of two years.
0: And they were... Looking for traumatic events in your past, that the therapist felt triggered your schizophrenia.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So the compassion focused therapy was to work on my low mood, which was a complaint I'd gone to the psychiatrist with, and that worked. The exploratory therapy was more um, to find the cause of the psychosis. I was kind of really digging around to find out why this happened to me. Was it my own fault? Was it because of smoking cannabis? Was it my parents' divorce? You know, I was kind of, I really, it was in a way to to kind of prevent future relapse.
0: My understanding was the therapist hit on the idea that it was was your relationship with your father in this respect.
3: Yes, and um, it was kind of like, just that's what they felt. I had a, a sheet of A4 paper that looked at traumatic events of the past and how they'd impacted on me. And obviously the things that came to my mind was the parents' divorce. It seemed like an obvious thing to blame. But it was really unhelpful because I ended up getting really angry at my parents and it had a negative impact on my relationship with them. And I've kind of, I don't know, like I feel that a lot of trust is placed in doctors with fancy qualifications and this was a clinical psychologist that I was seeing. And I kind of placed all my faith and confidence in them saying that this is caused. By your family and their arguments in the past. And of course, I got angry at my parents and I, I was not very nice to them, which caused a rift. And I really regret that. And I wish I'd just kind of listened to myself and put my parents first as a good daughter perhaps would have done.
0: I mean, you know, I don't think you did anything wrong whatsoever, Erica, but... I mean, something that we've talked about in the past and you've written a little bit about is that you did have some really tough times when you were a kid, that your mum had some quite serious health problems, that she had some problems with alcohol addiction. And, you know, you were thrust into a responsible role at quite a young age with a younger sister. Obviously, that's tough. But you feel that dwelling on those things has never helped
3: not at all I feel like uh, looking at it and kind of creating further arguments years and years down the line is a bit like having a cut on my arm or a wound on my arm and continuing to scratch it rather than letting it heal if you continue to scratch it and dig deeper it's going to get worse and past is the past and should be the past you know
0: I think we're massively lucky at The Mail on Sunday to have writers like Erica. You know, we talked about Bonnie Estridge last week. Um, Mm. You know, these are people who are actually in the situations um, themselves. They are the patients themselves and brilliant journalists who uh, are prepared to tell everyone about very personal things.
1: Yeah, Um, and aside from that, you know, it's about taking your personal experience and then looking at what the wider issue is there, which I think Erica does brilliantly you know she always presents something new and interesting that nobody kind of outside of that world has ever heard of
0: I'm not sure if it was entirely clear from the conversation but I, I know for a fact that it was twice in a row in different therapy scenarios that she was pushed to try and find a cause in her childhood and you know ultimately she says it just didn't help. It was like picking a, you know, picking a scab.
1: Oh yeah, I think that that metaphor she used was really interesting. That actually sometimes you just have to leave that wound to heal. And obviously, we're not saying in all situations and and talking is is good, but for some people on some situations, it can cause more harm than good. So I think it's important that we actually speak to a psychologist now who is very interested in this area and has raised some concerns um, about the focus on trauma within therapy. So joining me now is Dr Lucy Falks, who is a psychologist and researcher at University College London and author of the book, Losing Our Minds. Lucy, do you think there's a misunderstanding about what the word trauma actually means?
4: Yes, I think there is. And I think the misunderstanding is in the kind of academic professional domain as well as in the public domain now. For a long time, there's been a lot of confusion about what that word means and uh, which stressful events should and shouldn't count as trauma.
1: So in your opinion, what what is a trauma and what isn't a trauma?
4: Well, so according to the official definition, it's a stressful event which meets various different criteria, particularly an event in which your own life was at risk or that you were seriously injured. But also it might be an event in which you saw that happen to someone else, for example, if you're a first responder. But also if you heard about that event happening to someone else. So for example, if a loved one was in a car crash, and you learned about that event. So the general idea is that it's something incredibly stressful that caused risk to someone's health or life. I've seen specifically
1: on social media, some therapists are suggesting that even sort of um, having parents who want you to achieve very high grades at school, that that can be traumatic and, and even sort of um, name calling in the playground that can be traumatic. What, what do you think about that?
4: I think it's a problem. I think those things are stressful, but I think it's difficult if we start calling everything a trauma because that word starts to lose meaning. It was specifically designed to kind of be an exceptional, unusual event that caused a huge deal of understandable stress. And I think one thing that's happening is that because we're, you know, widely talking about mental health more, words like trauma have kind of been unleashed into the public sphere and they're kind of being co-opted a little bit too readily to the point now where sort of anything negative or unpleasant is being called a trauma and I don't think that helps anybody.
0: Lucy I wanted to ask if we're broadening this definition of trauma to encompass things that many other people find traumatic say in their own personal experiences what is the downside of that why would that be a negative if, if they're having something that they find traumatic recognised and treated?
4: I mean that's the good side of it I mean the the other sticky thing about trauma is that it's quite subjective so you know what a car car crash for example might not be a trauma for one person but it might be experienced as a trauma for another person so that's part of the issue exactly but it's quite subjective as well which makes it quite difficult to pin down I mean the good thing is that stress and distress is being recognised that's important but the downsides are that firstly it can be quite disempowering to frame something that happened to you as a trauma you know that's quite a heavy word especially when you start talking about your reaction to it being the disorder PTSD so that's quite heavy baggage to carry around when actually what you might be experiencing we need to take it seriously but it it might just be a kind of normal psychological response to something difficult so that's one problem and the second problem is that the word starts to lose meaning for people who have experienced what we would traditionally call traumas such as you know being in a terrorist
0: attack for example. I'm trying to choose my words very carefully because I wouldn't want anyone (laughs) listening to this be discouraged from seeking help if they felt that they needed it but there have been some very interesting studies that have looked at the downsides of exploring traumatic events when perhaps not exploring those in therapy may have helped a person overcome things better so I don't want to use the term getting over it because that Mm. sounds very belittling and that's that's not what the studies suggest at all but the studies I'm talking about have looked at debriefing Uh, so Mm. people have been especially children for instance in Dunblane that went through this Mm. horrific event and they found that the children that were offered debriefing therapy special therapists were helicoptered in to help them cope with the trauma Mm. they recovered less well than the kids that weren't given therapy and i find that fascinating because it seems counterintuitive to what we know why is that
4: well i think you make the right point that this is never a message to say don't get help and it it doesn't really matter what you call it if you're really struggling then go and get help absolutely i think the issue with Debriefing, And with any studies or experiences that found therapy weren't helpful is possibly the, the timing of the therapy and the nature of it. So the idea of debriefing is that they tried to kind of get in and do it immediately in the aftermath of the event but they've realised that that's actually not the right time to dissect someone's psychological experience. Because some people just get
0: over it, don't they? I mean, to, to be blunt, some people don't find themselves traumatised by certain events and then some people do and if they, if they come forward for help, that's when you pounce and that's when you offer the support.
4: Well, this is what's so interesting about trauma and again why it's such a tricky thing to define is that a group of people can all go through the identical objective event and some, some of them have no lasting psychological impact. Uh, yeah, but the phrase getting over it is, as you say, it's tricky because it's a bit dismissive. But it's absolutely true that some people will go through what on the face of it seems like an extremely traumatic event. And they're not negatively impacted by it long term. That other people will be severely impacted at first, but it will die down. Other people will be severely impacted psychologically and it will last for a long time without help. And some other people will seem fine in the immediate aftermath, but then the sort of traumatic symptoms will wear their heads later on. So th- this is what's so interesting and so tricky is that people don't respond in the same way to traumatic events in inverted commas.
1: And Lucy, what do you think then about types of therapy that seem to be sort of emerging, certainly in the private sphere, that are mostly focused on uncovering somebody's trauma?
4: Yes, yeah, so I'm skeptical about that. I think it's a good thing to have experts following what they would call trauma-informed care, so to understand that people who have been through traumas such as child abuse might respond in a different way and might need a specific type of therapy. I would be wary about any, anyone, any therapist who is claiming that kind of the sole goal of their treatment was to sort of search and uncover something that, that you might not even realize was there
1: absolutely fascinating dr lucy folks thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me
3: hi sorry to interrupt your listening but there's another great podcast from the mail on sunday you might want to try Liz jones's diary the podcast offering a weekly look into the life of britain's most unfiltered columnist that's me find us at mailplus.co.uk
0: I bet loads of people have been having similar conversations um, recently. I know uh, I saw a friend of mine shortly after the uh, Sarah Everard protests mm. and we had a long conversation about things that had happened in our teens and she said that she had started thinking back to sort of dodgy situations that she'd been in with men and things that had happened and it had been quite, uh, I guess the the word traumatic is is, is the right one. Uh, to have to think about it all again, but when she stopped thinking about it, it was less traumatic, I guess.
1: Yes, I, I would say I've had, I guess you could say, two major traumatic life events, and everybody always says to me, "You're so strong," and I really hate that because I, I always think, "Well, I'm not strong. I just got on with it because I had to get on with it." You and my mother too; she lost her husband at a relatively young age, had two very little kids, and got on with it because she had to get on with it. Now I appreciate that both I and my mother are very lucky in Mm. that we were able to do that. Or I don't want to say we were able to because it's not, you know, it's not like we won and we're better because we did. But for for whatever reason, you know, behavioural personality traits, whatever it may be, we, we did that. And for a lot of people, that's not the case. But
0: also you had a lot of treatment for mental illness. Yes. And it just didn't happen to hinge around the death of your father. And it was focused on, you know, the things that did help you, for instance, were dietitians helping to reinforce some more positive thoughts about food.
1: Absolutely. Well, it's the, the sort of ever ongoing debate within psychology is do we focus on the practical tools that will help in the here and now for you to literally get on with your life? Or do we focus on the things that are underpinning this problem and that are the root of, of all the behavioural and mood issues that you have to really kind of pick away at the, the crux of the problem. I think also something a very senior psychiatrist said to me the other day is that not to sort of diminish obviously mental health problems and, and the fact that they do require serious clinical treatment, but we are sort of losing the importance of those things that just kind of get us through the day to day. So I think that all too often we kind of forget how important things like a a really great social network, great friends and a a really supportive workplace. If you're lucky enough to
0: have those things.
1: Exactly. If you are, I think that those things can also be a sort of a sense of therapy. You know, that certainly Mm. I felt Mm. that I wouldn't have got better if it wasn't for all of those things being in place. And again, I was very lucky. But, um, you know, we shouldn't automatically think that a therapist is the answer.
0: Before we go, I'd like to reiterate the point that nothing in this uh, podcast should discourage anyone from seeking help. It's an entirely positive thing to you know approach, approach someone if you feel that you're in psychological distress. Often a GP is a great first port of call and they're very understanding about these things. I know I've found my GP in the past has been my first target in terms of, of finding help when I've felt really low. But that's all we've got time for, uh, unfortunately, today. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at Mail Plus. If you've got a suggestion for a topic or a question for Medical Minefield please do get in touch with us directly on twitter you can find me by searching at barney calman that's B A R N Y C A L M A N,
1: and i am at eve simmons but without the o so that's at e-v-e-s-i-m-m-n-s we'll be back with another topic on medical minefield next week see you then goodbye